get the picture My trap never closed Let's chalk it out to the next episode Life's fabulous I ain't even grow up never having shit But I was bad as shit And never got caught Slick nigga, you was that soft I never sleep on vacation I bring some weed on vacation Tasteful and weighty Double RL on my garments huh. If I tell a lie, is it harmless? Don't get me started uh. Boo told me get to it harder And work smarter uh. And put your life on the toast starter This soap opera One time for the coke coppers I ain't right. even really packed shit right. for this year. Special episode And this week To commemorate that we're Me and you We're just As bright and talented As poor kids this week we are the Jay White kids. Um, see, see, <laughs> see, see when we when we were when we were uh, thinking of a name for this episode, like usually it's you, and I was sitting there thinking like, what can we do this week? And honest to God, I was thinking about, okay, what if we were the white men? Nice, just cause, like, yeah. yeah. Just because we, I think me and you have been sort of like supportive, of, supportive, of, supportive of Jay, saying he had a good tournament. Yeah. Not saying he's been like amazing or anything, but I think. We are like, oh, Jay's been good. Jay's been good this time around, right? And yeah. then, you know, I, I thought of that one this morning. I don't know if you you know you follow the politics enough to get the reference to Joe Biden, but uh, he was saying something on some speech, and he said, uh, "Oh, yeah, poor the kids poor, are just as bright yeah. and talented as white kids." So yeah, it was like, right. uh, what? <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> uh, yeah. So we are the Jay White kids. We are here to talk about the man, the ace, the true king of new japan pro wrestling jay white and his phenomenal transcendence uh as being not only the top worker but also the top draw in new japan pro wrestling the king uh, of discourse the king of banter uh that's probably why uh joe lanza likes him so much because he's truly a, truly the king of banter <laughs> yeah he's a big banter i mean fuck remember when knife pervert was going all around and then a knife pervert shirt actually showed up in was it pro wrestling tees you know, yeah, he actually made one, and everybody got like, "No, you can't make money off of this." Even though yeah. you guys, even though we keep calling you that, but <laughs> even though we made this up, like we're just made. I'm, I didn't hear people really getting mad about the big mic thing, and that came from the internet too. You know. Um, yeah, but it was, it was, but I guess because knife pervert was meant to be like some sort of like derogatory thing, and then like him turning around and making money, like making money off of it was like, "Hey, you can't do that." <laughs> that it rules. I'm sorry, Jay White's awesome. I I. I continue to think he's great. I'm really loving the beard look. I was thinking about that today, especially because the fucking big promo picture that's up <laughs> on the ring has the clean faced. You know, you um, know what it does? It's like the beard makes him like make he's like he because he's always done that little like slick piece of shit smile. When yeah. he does it, it makes it it makes it ten times more effective now with the beard. You know what I was thinking about too is the hair. Like yeah, it's got a little bit of green tinge to it that just makes him look kind of like scummy and toxic but it's like not it's almost you almost question it because you know how you like when you dye your hair black it'll be different base color just Mm. like really dark to make it black which i guess you wouldn't know because you probably never dyed your hair black maybe you have um i've I've done it before like i've had like red hair and all that stuff before and like just to get rid of like once my hair starts going to like a weird light brown color i would dye it black but yeah yeah, but but when you dye your hair black, it's usually actually another color, just really dark to do it that way. So it almost looks like it could just be it's a really dark green that was supposed to be black. It's like a green based black, but it it just comes through a little bit, and again, it just adds to the sleaziness with the you know green just looking like infected. You know, he just he looks like some kind of toxic. Just he's so gross. He's so sleazy. He's so slimy. And you know, he's just a good, nice little Australian. Is he a New Zealander? He's a Kiwi, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, New Zealand. 
he's a just a nice little New Zealander. He's probably just as goofy as Travis Banks. You know what I mean? But he is the top fucking heel in wrestling. And okay, I know you want to get into this, but the discourse around the Naito match, people not liking the match, people feeling the need at that point to then call out the numbers. Now, you know, and I, I wonder how many of those fucking people that are the kind of people who are bringing this up, complaining about the numbers and showing that, 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 you know, this Jay White push has failed because he's not drawing the same as the match last year in the same position would be saying anything if there was the same amount of draw, but Naito had won. You know what I mean? Unfortunately, I think a lot of people who have this issue are the same people who are 100% in the bag for Naito. He should have won. They think Naito should win everything. But when it comes down to it, Naito was half of the fucking match and it didn't draw two. So put it on him as well. And I would really even say that that's a big fucking part of it is that I think the match didn't draw because no one cares to see Naito beat Jay White. It's not that that Jay White's a bad heel or doesn't have the right kind of heat or whatever you want to argue. I won't even say that it's necessarily to say like that to protect Jay. Oh, he's so great. But what I am saying is that if you tell me Naito versus Jay White, I don't think that people get excited for Naito to be the one to give the heel his comeuppance. I think people would be excited to see Naito win the G1. Sure, but I don't know that they think, oh, Naito's going to show this pissant little fucker who, what's for and give... Because he's not righteous. He's kind of a heel character. He's the ingobernable. He's an anti-hero. So you don't really get excited to see an anti-hero beat a heel. And that's the issue with Jay White. And I can understand... having an issue with that to say like Jay White isn't a good heel because of the current kind of paradigm of how wrestling works you need to be able to draw against anti-hero types but when you talk about him as a pure heel I think he draws as a heel where you want to see a babyface beat him and that's why I think that him versus Okada is a great matchup that people would get excited to see and then even him versus Ibushi who I think that I just mentioned Okada Okada did a great job in his match with Ibushi shutting Ibushi up for the for the final and playing subtle heel so that Abushi feels like the valiant babyface that people are going to be excited to see beat Jay White. And then, lo and behold, the next night for the final, there's no issue with the draw. It's basically, you know, the same. It's about flat from the year before final with Abushi versus Tanahashi. So, again, it goes into either Jay White is a terrible draw because him versus Naito wasn't as good as Abushi versus Kenny Omega, which is a huge fucking matchup, by the way, which is something that you've mentioned multiple times. And then the next night, he goes up against the same person who was in the final last year, Kota Abushi, and he draws exactly the same. So it's either Jay White is a terrible draw, can't compare to Kenny Omega as a draw, or he's on the same level of a draw as Tanahashi. So, you know, which one is it? Which, which one do you guys want to say about Jay White? Because he did, he did that back-to-back. You know, he either was not able to draw the same level as Omega or he is able to draw the same as Tanahashi. So you can't really decide to have it both ways. You know what it is for me too? Is that... Like, I understand how optics look to people. But I also know that a lot of people have, like, have common sense when it comes when it comes to these things. And, I'm, like, you... People understand how big of a match Ibushi versus Omega was. If you wanted to play numbers games... Ibushi versus Omega last year drew like twelve thousand people on the second night of the of the of the Budokan stretch. That first night with Okada versus Tanahashi, which were being done for like the thirteenth or twelfth time, drew like sixty one hundred. Now, compare that I'm, to the, the 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 Ibushi versus Okada from this year. They yeah, outdrew but, that by like three thousand, right? Yeah, but sitting here, like, no one has, like, these active problems with Okada or Tanahashi. 
So no one's going to point that out. They'll they'll give you all the context and like, you know, things that matter when discussing that stuff like that. Like, oh, usually the first night doesn't draw as well as the next two. Oh, and oh, Okada versus Tanahashi has been do- done to death in Tokyo. And all that stuff is true. But that's when people will use their common sense to rationalize something. With Jay White, we just seem to throw out all the common sense. Ibushi versus Omega is legitimately one of the biggest drawing New Japan matches of the decade. Anything going against that would have looked bad. But we know that it isn't. Do you want to know how we know it isn't bad? Because Naito, because Naito versus Jay White outdrew Okada versus Ibushi. But no one's going to talk about that one, right? No one's going to talk about that one. Why? Because the difference is negligible. It's only about 200 people. Oh, night one usually draws a little bit less than night two and night three. Sure, but no one's going to sit here and do that because there's no bone to pick. There's no agenda. There's no narrative to try to paint because you're upset that JY is going to the final or because Naito didn't win. All I'm saying, like, that my, my entire issue is that you can use numbers and all that stuff to paint whatever narrative you want, and everyone's doing that because they just have whatever issue with Jay, which is fine. Like, we'll get into not liking Jay because I think... If you're in, if your problem if your problem is his interference, like I can't do anything about that. But if you're gonna sit here and tell me that you can watch his matches and watch what he does in the ring, and you think he's bad, then I, I, then I have something to talk about later. But you can skew numbers any kind of way you want to to point some points well, to point to some kind of narrative, and I think that was just very clear with some people when it came to Jay. Yeah, I mean people are obviously upset, but it's almost you talk about it, but. Common sense going out the window when when people get into Jay White. And here's the thing. That almost makes me it very obvious and clear to me that he is the best old school heel in wrestling. Because this, I mean, this feels like a Jim Cornette kind of bullshit thing to say, but he's working people so well that their common sense and the stuff that they can easily pick out and point to normally goes out the fucking window when they're talking about Jay White because he makes them so mad. You know, and it's, it's, it's impressive. It really is. And if you don't get that, if you think that, if you really believe that, like, it's just that he's terrible, I I don't see it. I really think he's just getting to you because of the character. Because, again, you know, maybe it's a straw man, and I can totally understand. I've spent years attacking people on podcasts who get into straw men. But I would probably say that there's a good amount of people who hate Jay White now and think that all this stuff, and like I said, completely getting work to the point where they, you know, common sense goes out the fucking window because of how much they dislike him. They probably loved him when he was a young lion. They probably were so into him when he was just flying around and having good matches with David Finley. And now, now somehow he's the worst fucking guy on the planet. And it's just like, come on, you know, he's the same guy. I loved the commentary talking about him. I mean, Kevin Kelly put it over how young he is and the way that he wrestles with the experience of someone with like twice the years of fucking experience that he has. It's like, it is super impressive. He is becoming just a phenomenal all around worker. I'm not going to say that like he'll end up in my top 50 for sure. But it's not out of the question. Like, he is really fucking good, and he's proving to be a star. And, you know, there's the other sides of the argument, and I, I, the people who argue, like, you know, I'm into wrestling as an art form. I don't care about the business side of things, and that's perfectly fine. But I think that you can't separate crowd reaction from the artistic side of things, and he gets great reactions. He gets the reactions that he's looking for repeatedly. Uh, the You know, the crowd's hate his guts you talk about the interference and i think that they did a really good job toning down the interference this year to where the interference in the final felt like a big deal 
and felt that's, like the, that's that's why it's always so weird to me when I see people talk about Jay because I don't I feel like people have such like a like zero interference policy that even if Gato was like in the ring for like five seconds or ten seconds and he's immediately disposed of people are gonna people are just gonna go insane it doesn't matter how influential his interference was it doesn't matter how effective it was it doesn't matter how long it was as soon as it happens i think people just lose their shit which i think is more reflective on them than like the interference being like bad or overdone or whatever because again i'm not sitting here talking like i'm some super like some like incredible jay white super fan i think he's had i think he's had a really good year compared to what he when he came in last year i thought he stunk it up versus okada and madison square garden I'll sit here and say these things, but I can't be objective and look at this and go like, oh yeah, the interference has just been crazy. Cause I don't think it's been. Yeah, it really hasn't. And, and the interference in the final was a big deal. And I think that they did a great job of, of playing it up so that it felt like, you know, not like this. It really had that feeling like you can't win the G1 final like this. And that, that that's what you're looking for. That's how wrestling works. Interference is a tool, you know, any kind of, booking like any kind of overbooking whatever you want to call it angles all of it it's all just tools in the playbook of of putting together a wrestling show and you know we weren't doing a podcast i wasn't doing a podcast at the time maybe you were but it feels a lot like the prince devitt and we've compared jay white to prince devitt in a lot of ways i think in a lot of places but he's, he's the same like, thing with, again if you would like listen to like how, how like what jay's talked about his career and like how his career went like handpicked by devitt to get into New Japan and be put into the system, and if you look at the Bullet Club now, they it's it's really similar to that to that like our early Devitt Bullet Club feel because yeah. everyone because everyone talks about Bullet Club in sort of like the late stage early late stage AJ Styles and like Kenny Omega lens. It's like oh here are these guys being a bunch of cool heels and. Um, just doing hand signs and suckets and that's and that's fine but go back and look at the first Devitt era stuff even when he's coming out and wearing light up jackets and all that shit I, I wouldn't called I wouldn't have called Devitt like cool and when Devitt was doing goofy shit like putting on boxing gloves like I I, I wouldn't I wasn't I, would, I wouldn't say here and called the guy cool I I, I, I I do know that some people thought of him that way but personally when I was watching Devitt didn't give me that vibe and people were like, oh man, the Dev- the Bullet Club feels like a group of heels again. They're not trying to be cool. And Jay White hasn't been cool since he came in. Jay White, when he gets the when he gets control of the Bullet Club in what October, I think it is like October when he's when he, when he becomes a Bullet Club guy. Like the group hasn't been cool since then. So I just don't know where people got they got this magical idea after Kenta joins Bullet Club. Like, oh man, they're really a group of hateable heels now. Like. For a pretty good amount of the time in Bullet Club of Bullet Club's existence, they haven't been cool though. Right. Yeah. Most of the time, I mean, that's what it is. The initial concept of the Bullet Club was that that you know Devitt was the gun and and you know Gant, Anderson, Fale, Tamatanga were the bullets. They were they were used through him to help propel him forward. That was the idea. And this is the first time in a long time that the Bullet Club feels like it has that focus where the rest of the guys are there to serve Jay White. And that's the the character. That's what, how the character works. You know, the leader of the Bullet Club character is this guy who's immensely talented, 
good looking. He, he could go, like that's the entire Bullet Club idea is like go back and look at it. Devitt in his like initial babyface stuff and all that stuff like career long babyface. He has all the talent in the world to go out there and just do things the quote unquote right way and win the clean way, but he doesn't feel like it. He's a dick. And to make his life easier, he uses he uses these goons to win these matches, and he terrorizes the company with them. Jay White, if you watch the Naito match, Jay White pretty much beats him clean as a whistle. So, like, yeah, we're getting back to the core and essence of what Bullet Club was when it first started. Yeah, exactly. And I, I for one, really enjoy it because I loved that Bullet Club. I, you know, I really wanted to buy the first Bullet Club shirt with how shitty it was. It was so bad. I don't know if you remember that one, but it was like <laughs> it had a picture of a gun and it said like, um, like the names of each guy on the back. It was really terrible. Um. And I was like, there was a time period where I was like really happy that I didn't actually buy it because, uh, you know, then Bullet Club turned into this nightmare. And I was just like, God, I wouldn't want to, you know, I just would never wear that shirt. Um, but now again, it's like, it's, I would kind of like, I would kind of wish I had it. Unfor- like, I really do because I like this kind of Bullet Club. I like where it's a clear focus on one guy and it's one guy who is immensely talented, but it's like, why does he need to have all these people around him? to to make him you know and it's he doesn't he really doesn't and that's the thing you see it and and he's just wreaking havoc but what i was saying is at that time i mean the discourse online was insane with how fucking pissed off everyone was because Devitt was the epitome and he was the the guy that you could point out the example of new japan no longer being new japan and i think that that's a lot of that is fucking fetishized by western fans and they really like having a Western person that they can point the finger at, you know, a non-Japanese person and say, they're ruining New Japan. They're not doing, you know, the kind of wrestling that you're supposed to do in New Japan. And there's not supposed to be this kind of interference. And, and it's like, he's not fucking doing it on his own. You understand he's being booked to do this. Like, but people get up in arms and they're protecting the sanctity of New Japan from this, you know, invading force who's coming from outside and people really love that but the the, the rhetoric about that for devit was insane the way you know that you know talking- you know what's you know what's even crazier too is like we we're sitting here talking about this in the in the context of like just like bullet club guys like you know call a spade a spade is like it's a group of a lot like a lot of white dudes and people that, that aren't japanese doing this but when tetsuya naito wants to turn heel in 2015 and he has evil interfering in his matches and he has Sonata interfering. And when he wins the IWGP title, I'm seeing significantly less discourse about Tetsuya Naito and what he's doing. And again, I understand that for like, for whatever reason, like, you know, Naito has his history. People got attached to Naito's um, narrative and his character and all that stuff. But that's what Naito was doing up until like mid mid 2017 it was it was a lot of it was a lot of interference stuff so yeah. i just don't know what we're doing here because it's clear favoritism it's something that even goes before the bullet club days like you had people interfere interfering in match in matches and all that kind of stuff so you're right it is like some sort of fet- like fetishization of um this clean real sports feel of new japan and I get it. If your first exposure is, wow, Okada versus Tanahashi feels so huge and important, or wow, Tanahashi versus Suzuki feels so huge and important, that's cool. But those are just big main event matches that aren't giving you the full spectrum of what's going on in the company. So don't hit stuff. So, but don't sit here and act like that's what's going on up and down the card because there's always been bullshit going on. 
Yeah. I mean, that's the history of Japanese wrestling. Like, Abdullah the Butcher was insanely popular in Japan. Like, what do people think he was doing? You know? He's cutting people over with fucking forks and, and chairs and Bruiser Brody swinging a chain. And, you know what I mean? Like, there's the history of there being bullshit and shenanigans in Japanese wrestling runs as deep as wrestling itself. I mean, that's the whole point. That's how wrestling works. I mean,. I don't remember who said it, but I saw someone tweet it out, like saying that someone was watching wrestling and they said, you know, I like wrestling, you know, it was a non-family. I like wrestling because it's like sports if it was entertaining. And it's like, you know, that's basically what it is. Like the idea of pro wrestling is turning up, taking real sports and turning it up with some flair of imagination and some wildness. And, and it's been that way in Japan the whole fucking time. Like, but people, I think people really do like it and they really do get something stuck in their craw when it's a, a, a foreigner, a non-Japanese person doing that stuff because they think that that person's not respecting the lineage and the history properly. But like you said, Naito can do that shit all fucking day and it's totally fine. Um, and I think it's a lot of the same people. I, I hate to say it, but I do think a lot of the same people who hate Jay White love Naito. And I can't, you know, prove it, but I do think that you could probably see that the, that Venn diagram has a pretty huge overlap. Um, so that said, obviously, the most important thing coming out of the G1 feels like Jay White. And he's not the one who wins, right? Am I, uh, like, is that, am I wrong in saying that? It seems like that's what everyone was talking about is Jay White, even though Kota Ibushi is the one who comes out winning. Absolutely. Um, I will say I think a lot of that does come down to the fact that Ibushi versus Okada happened in the tournament. So I think doing that, Definitely take definitely take some of the eyes off of what should be Ibushi's big moment. Um, on top of that, I think it's way more interesting when someone, at least for people, it's way more interesting to talk about someone that's divisive. At this point, Kota Ibushi's career, I don't think anyone's saying that Kota Ibushi is a bad wrestler. Kota Ibushi isn't a good wrestler. Or that Kota Ibushi isn't deserving of his spot. I think... At this point, everyone is pretty unanimous. Like, yeah, Kota Ibushi is really good, and he's one of the biggest stars in New Japan. It's about time. So there's not there's not much to discuss there. With Jay White, he we have this person that is um coming in and he's taking spots from Naito and all and and all and all this stuff. And I think that just is you know more fun to throw out there and have hot takes about and all that. But it, I'll I'll say it the Kota Ibushi Jay White match, I think, is probably Jay's best performance to date. And again, I'm someone I think Jay has had good performances so far, like the juice, like the juice matches, the Tanahashi matches for the most part. Um, after Wrestle Kingdom, I liked him in the Okada Wrestle Kingdom match, um, the Shingo match from G1, and stuff like that. I, th- I think he's been good. I think he's had good performances. The Ishii match from G1, I think he's had good stuff. I think that this like this G1 performance was blow away by him, and I'm I'm not sure if uh, I'm alone in that, but it's definitely like a top five match for me, and something that I was really really blown away by, like exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I mean the only thing that comes to mind, and it feels like it could even be construed as a totally different person almost, would be the uh, the Osprey match from ROH. Um, I'd have to rewatch that because I remember really liking it, but I bet on a rewatch it wouldn't compare to this match, um, you know, as as being that good. So yeah, but even um, though I'm talking about his performance, like he's just like yeah, and I don't, and I don't want to like jump right yeah, into it like that. Fair, but it's like that match is really good more because of Osprey. 
and not yeah, like necessarily his like a great Jay White performance. Yeah, like the Jay in the Bougie match. Like I don't know what more you want from a heel in that match. I don't know what more you want from a guy that understands what his place is in a company. Like for me, the spot of the year is Ibushi sitting here antagonizing Jay and Jay getting this look on his face. Like he's about to get up and go blow for blow with Ibushi and they go head to head and they're snarling and all that, and all that shit at each other. And Ibushi and white throws a slap and Ibushi slaps him and Jay just crumbles. Like there's no pretense that Jay can even sit here and trade shots with Ibushi. He just gets fucking destroyed. Yeah. And if there's anyone, if if, it's, if that's anyone but Jay White in a role like that, people go crazy for that spot. That's one of the best spots of the year. Oh my God, I wish more people weren't so tough and understood their roles in wrestling. And that's why talking about Jay White is so frustrating because there's the same people that, that some of the same people that be like, oh man, The Miz is so great. Right. And well, and repeatedly throughout this match, I mean, the stuff that he does when he takes little petty cheap shot weaselly attacks at the leg right in the middle of doing something else or when the focus it's really great like mr x almost like he's not even doing cool shit he's doing like yeah like he he just like sitting here stomping and kicking and grabbing at abushi's ankle and foot anytime he gets when he's in trouble he's not doing anything cool and if and if and if that's anyone but jay white we think it's great and we're like oh my god that's so smart that's such a genius way to, to to attack it like Jay comes across like a, like a little baby Tanahashi at times. Like as far as like how focused he is and how direct he is when he when he's doing things. And even then, he's way nastier than Tanahashi when he focuses on the limb. I think. Like, I thought Jay was incredible here. He's I, I, we talked about Jay selling throughout the entire tournament. Jay sells incredibly well for people that are like big heavy strikers. Sold well for Shingo. Sold well for Goto. Sold well for sold well for Ibushi. And so and so well for um Ishii when they when they when they wrestled, and that was on full display. So you got to see Jay selling, you got to see how smart Jay was and how focused Jay was when working on a limb. You got to see Jay play to his character perfectly, not in the cheating or anything like that, but in how he attacks the leg and how he doesn't sit here and try to act like he's the toughest guy in in the company. Like with Jay, I don't know what people want from him. <laughs> I think I think to not be yeah. Jay White is that is that it just to not be who right. he is to not be the next pushed guy from the dojo I don't know what it is but if anyone else had their performance like Jay did in that match we'd be talking about it as one of the best performances of the year yeah I don't, it's 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 kind of maddening it really is and it comes I guess you can always say it comes down to you know a matter of opinion or taste or whatever but He's so good. He's so young. He's so new. He's I almost worry. I have the same worry about Okada early on, but obviously that it didn't come to fruition. But the idea of these guys who just are that good, that quick and so soon in their career are put so high that they don't they stagnate and they don't continue to improve and they just stay at that level because it works. And a guy who did that kind of with his wrestling was John Cena for a long time. He stagnated because he was he was the top guy and his wrestling ability suffered for that because it was you know it's a different style obviously in wwe and it's like you got to be able to go and work however many nights a week like five nights a week basically so you don't have time to be worrying too much and thinking too much about improving um you just got to make it work 
So I do wonder, like, oh, God, it'll suck if he just kind of rests on his laurels. But he shows, yes, like, a natural instinct for wrestling that's really next level comparatively. He clearly wants it. He's working insanely hard. I do think that his natural role is going to be as a super over baby face relatively shortly. Um, it's just, it's interesting to think. I mean, Abushi just beat Okada the night before the final. And then now what? Like, he's going to Wrestle Kingdom against Okada? Like, is that... Do you think that that makes sense? That doesn't make sense to me. I could even see if he had beat Okada earlier in the tournament, but the fact that it was the, you know, the block final match, basically, he beats Okada, in what I think is actually, honestly, probably to me, a better match than White versus Naito and even the final. Um, yeah, yeah, I, w- I, wouldn't, I wouldn't argue with that. Yeah, Okada versus Ibushi is like fantastic, and no one's gonna talk about it because everyone sitting there has to, like has to get whatever Jay takes. Right. But Okada versus Ibushi was as good as Okada big match formula as you're gonna find. Well, and I think it wasn't like it was, but it wasn't because, like I said, I think that Okada worked subtle heel to help shine yeah, up yeah, yeah. Ibushi going into the final to be the big valiant babyface, and I think that part of why the Naito J match to me wasn't as good is because it served a different purpose which was like similar in that you talked about it, but, but Jay wins pretty much clean to kind of set him up so that when he does hit the big interference spots in the finals, it's almost like you, you kind of didn't expect it because he was kind of squeaky clean in the, the match before. So you kind of are almost lulled into this false sense of security that he's not going to pull that shit in a big setting, but he does. So it kind of hurt in that regard because it didn't, it was kind of doing the opposite. It was going against character to help kind of get a misdirect to swerve you a little bit in the booking, which helps the the final be a little bit more impactful, but I think hurts the match itself because it doesn't make it as clear that it's heel babyface. Naito really, again, he, a part of why I think it doesn't draw as well is because I don't think that people expect Naito to, you know, be the guy to give the comeuppance to Jay White and, and really show this punk kid what for. So all of that hurts that in that way where that the opposite is like Okada plays subtle heel. He's a little bit more ruthless. He's vicious. Abushi sells his ass off, which Abushi is a guy who, who doesn't necessarily always do that. There's a moment in that match that I fucking love where Abushi is on the standing on the middle rope and he's grabbing the underhook and the, the commentary's talking. Cause I, I, I listen to the English commentary. I don't fucking care. Like, you know, people can say whatever they want about it. But for me, it's just like, I understand English. I totally get why you want the ambiance of the Japanese thing. But it's like, I'm not going to get anything out of that. Because I even if I enjoy just it on like a visceral level from the way it sounds or whatever, like auditorily, I'm not going to be able to deign any more information for that. So you're telling me that you're a coward. Exactly. I'd rather okay. hear, even if I, and I actually think Kevin Kelly is a pretty good commentator, but yeah. <laughs> I'd rather hear what he has to say because at least it's going to be some information that I can understand and digest and add to my understanding of what's going on in the match. Anyways, they're talking about the double underhook on the top. And for just a quick flash in my head, I was just like the most abushi thing ever would have been if in the match with Okada, he had hit a top rope stormbreaker on like you know after it's like become osprey's move but he just like does it off the top rope even before before osprey has even done it just for no reason at all yes just randomly i was like oh god i hope that's what he does but it does it did it obviously it's not what happened but uh, for a moment there i was like that's the most abushi shit ever to do something that fucking just dumb like uh, abushi is great because he's lovable he's stupid he's nutty and 
he sells his ass off in this match and against Okada. Like, and then it plays into the the final, and he sells his ass off some more. And that's what that's what like that J that Jay Abushi final. Like we talked we talked about Jay when they've been sort of subtly playing with Abushi's ankle injury throughout the throughout the entire tournament. And knowing just Abushi's history with um being in leg based matches with like Tanahashi and all that stuff, is that he can do it, but he also doesn't always show an interest in seeing that thing through. And like I'll be damned, like I was concerned about it going into the, into the J match, and Abushi another, another like blew, blew me away too. I thought he committed to the injury and the story more than I thought he would. I was I was, I was really happy that he did. Yeah, one leg moonsault was awesome repeatedly showing desperation in his face really great facial selling which is probably his weakest point as a wrestler honestly is that even when he's trying to focus physically on selling sometimes he gets that you know icy cold serial killer stare that we talk about where he just shows no emotion in his face and in his eyes throughout this match he repeatedly was they were getting some facial shots and you were really seeing emotion from abushi which is not something that you normally see, honestly. I mean, so I have, so I have, a, I have a question for you though, um, before we um get in, get into that a little bit more and even um other stuff because we have like a whole bunch of other shit that happened the yes, last yes, couple yes. nights that whether well, there's like discourse and angles. Did you think the Naito uh, Naito J White match was bad enough to sit here and get the reaction that it did from people? Not even close. I mean, really, I gave it three and a half stars. You know, like I think, I think the same. Thing, I think that's the same thing I gave it. Good. You know, the match before I actually thought that Shingo Goto before, which is another thing to talk about when you talk about draw. Like compare the undercard for last year's <laughs> B Block. God damn it! Why am I getting back into this? The undercard is like Shingo versus Goto. I'm sorry, but that's not great support draw. You know what I mean? Like either way, I thought that Shingo versus Goto was better. You know, and it happened just before. Uh, the the Jay White Nino match, um, but I didn't think it was bad. It's um, oh my bad. I just got um no, no, no. the Windows restart thing. Oh no. Um no, I was going to try again in an hour. <laughs> yeah, hold on. All right, there we go. Um, but yeah, it was just so weird to me because I was watching it. I was watching everything live. I wasn't on Twitter or anything as a. Uh, the match is going on, so at first I finish the match, go on Slack. I'm like, oh, okay, well, J won. That match was good, whatever. Like, no, we no, like none, none of us in Slack are like, oh yeah, that was incredible. Then I go on Twitter. It's like, here we go, fucking J White stinking it up in, the, in one of the biggest matches in his career again. Like, like, what is going on? I was so confused. And look, as much as I've sat here and like defended J White at points. I don't. Like, I don't think he knocks it out of the park every time. The Tanahashi match, I thought that the first, the first one at Wrestle Kingdom, I thought people put a lot of blame on him when they should have also put someone Tanahashi in the booking. But whatever. The Kenny I mean, Omega. That's also, the, I'm sorry, but I have to. As you're doing, like, I, I'm sorry, but like, you can't pretend that that's not a trope of Tanahashi. He regularly has bad first matches with people. He, it's almost to the point where it feels like it's intentional, so that he can like then have better matches with them and then people get more excited and more into it. Like he almost feels like he sandbags the first times he wrestles people so that, so that he has something to live up to next time, honestly, you know? So to say like, Oh, that's a hundred percent Jay white. I'm not, you know, I think that Tanahashi is a lot smarter worker than people realize, you know? And so like we have like, like, you know, people who dogged him for the, 
first Tanahashi match, whatever. Um, the next one with Kenny Omega at New Beginning, I thought was a little bit more divisive than it was like people calling it bad. But again, I'm not saying you're calling calling that a great match either. He has the he has the one against Okada at Madison Square Garden. I thought like to me that's the one where Jay absolutely, if I were going to blame him for a match, that was him. Jay had been doing good for a while and then for whatever reason just was completely devoid of all the personality that he has in that match. It was very it was very strange and I was very disappointed by him. This match I can't put in there because what they just weren't that good together. Like I don't I don't know. Like that like sometimes people just aren't great off like on, like in their first match together. And that was Jay and Naito's first uh, first first match. And I don't know, like it was fine, it was good. There were a couple spots that didn't look great, but definitely weird to sit here and be like, oh yeah, Jay White's fault that the match wasn't great. Well, again, two people obviously. And in general, neither of them really worked it with any any sense of urgency or escalating the match. So like that was just a really weird one where I thought it stayed at a pretty base good level, but I thought they like they both stayed there. I thought neither of them really ed- elevated or took it to the next level. Yeah, it was a solid professional match from two good wrestlers. Yeah, like, even say great wrestlers who are going to baseline have a good match with someone, even if they don't have special charisma or a connection. But and, it's and, also and look, and, and look before you start to cut you off, but and look, and look, I get it. That the standard of the last three nights of G1, all the all the big matches are great. Everything is five stars. Everything is amazing. Look, I get it. But you're not always going to get something magical like Kenny Omega versus Tetsuya Naito. That's not always happening. You're not going to get like this once in a lifetime spark between two guys. Like I I, I don't I don't know, but like it, I think I think it was definitely more of like an expectations thing. I think if that match happens during the middle of the G1, people aren't having this sort this sort of issue. I think people will call it a good match, say it was fine, whatever. But because in the context of all right, during the home stretch of the G1, everyone brings their working shoes out, and because that match was just good, everyone just went bonkers on it. Well, okay, but here's the thing: how many matches in this G1 did Naito really have that was better? Hey, look. And that's I, I mean, this is hey, the look. thing people want to overlook, you know. Like, like I, 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 I agree, you know. I'm like I, I like Naito. I've liked Naito forever, but I'm also not gonna sit here and act like if I go through his G1, I'm not sure I thought Naito had a single great match in the G1 up until Shingo, and even then, that was that's probably the only match of Naito's. I'd be like, oh yeah, that was great. Yeah, I mean, his best matches were like Moxley, Shingo, the two guys who for me are like toss up for MVP. Oh, I, oh, I, oh yeah, I, I didn't, I, I didn't even like that Moxley match. <laughs> I thought it was good. You know, I'm not saying it was great, but I'm saying like, if I'm comparing it to the, to the Jay white match, it's like his best matches are with the three guys who I think were the best guys in the whole fucking G one, you know, like that's the conversation. And I wouldn't have Moxley, the Moxley match as a great match. I don't have it in the upper end of matches, but I'm saying, Shingo, best guy in the fucking tournament. Naito versus Shingo, great match. Could actually be in the conversation for one of the best matches of the tournament. The Jay White match, fine. But again, Jay White has been great the whole fucking tournament. And like the match was fine. Naito, 
he dogs it. I don't know how people don't see this. I think that the character, I initially I was I was a defender of the character when he first showed up with the Ingobernables thing, and I did enjoy it, and I got it, and a lot of people didn't, and then it seemed like it switched, and it went from like people question it, what is this character, why is it? I think he's just he's not doing anything, he's lazy. Then it turned into like, oh, this is amazing, I love it, and now people just completely overlook everything and are like, it's the character. He's allowed to be bad. And it's like, Night, no, like, he... Night's Oak can do whatever he wants. And I don't, like, I can't remember like a, a, like a wrestler in the time I've been watching that just gets that kind of pass from like a majority of the audience. Right. I'm I mean, not at saying least that, Nakamura I'm not, I'm not... got signed to WWE first. Like what the like, fuck? I, and I'm not even saying that like everyone that's everyone that does that for Night's Oak was like, naito super fans but just like naito escapes everything it is very it is very strange and like the some like some some stuff i know that a lot a lot of people liked that just wasn't for me like naito versus taichi i saw people going crazy for naito versus taichi giving it like four and a half stars and all that i hated naito versus taichi so some stuff is taste some stuff i also look at and i'm like okay i don't even possibly understand how you thought that was like great or anything or where Tetsuya Naito was still the best wrestler in the world to some people. I, I got it in 2016. I got it. I got it during the last stretch of 2015, even parts of 2017. I got it 2018. The now I don't get it. I don't get holding on to it. I don't get still believing that I don't see it anymore. And it's just weird to look at Naito and like say see that he just doesn't try in so many matches and like we people know this about him but we're also gonna blame the other guy who works really hard in matches instead of naito and again not saying that jay white was great in it it was an average jay white performance with also a very average naito performance i don't know why it can't be both Again and and again, I think part of it that hurts it is that it's it's not a great heel face dynamic, and it felt like a bigger picture storytelling match that was it was meant to lull you into a false sense of safety that Jay maybe Jay White will do the honorable thing, maybe he will win the main even though there was a little bit of shenanigans with the ref, there was no interference, it was primarily clean. He pulls it out on his own, so you think maybe in the main event he'll do the same thing and he'll be respectful of the you know the g1 so that it's even bigger when then he he's shitty and cheats again like so there's bigger picture storytelling there's more going on there there's performances from a guy who is shaky i mean i don't jay white is very good but again he's really young and you want to compare like a naito omega match to jay white naito and even then like, like so remember like when we were doing g1 predictions like I swear, like my exact words, like whether it was like on here or Slack, is that what they're gonna try to do? Is maybe re- like maybe recreate the Naito Kenny the, the Kenny dynamic, right? And I think I was wrong because they didn't even do that because the reality of Naito now is that Naito's a face, right? Naito is mostly a face leaning tweener at this point, which is like a lot of New Japan's guys and the magic of Kenny versus Naito. Is if you go back at that specific point in time, they were both heels, very over heels, they were very both the clear heels. Of the two big heel groups. It felt like the leaders. Like it's not even just heels, but it's the leaders of the heels. You know. 
Yeah, and that and that and that's what Jay White is. Jay White is a very clear heel leader, and that's just not Naito anymore. If that's if that's the if that's what we were getting, I think it would have came across better. But because Naito feels so, I guess dry as a babyface, at least for me, and I think a lot of people feel that way, but never but don't know how to put their finger on it. I think the automatic like you automatically go to is this was this was Jay's fault and some of this I'll even put on New Japan for putting this match in that position like I get it like there's a match with two big stars and just naturally that's how they do their block decider nights that they have the two biggest stars in the block go out there and they wrestle each other and the and that's the main event but if maybe maybe this is on us like going back and looking at it and obviously hindsight's 2020 I don't know if that match was always going to like work or turn out the way it did. I think this is probably exactly what we would have gotten if we actually looked at it. Yeah, I mean, and okay, so, so what I was going to get to there was just talking about the difference between something like Jay White versus Naito in 2019 in the G1 and what you're talking about with, you know, Naito and Kenny Omega from the from the first time that they face each other in 2016. You know, with the, the, the dynamic and everything that's going on there. Like, the difference is that Kenny Omega at that point is an established star in Japan who's been wrestling probably almost for a decade at that point, if not longer. Who is comfortable and can stand up to someone like Naito and basically do what is right and make it work. I think that 2019, Jay White... Even if he's in the position that he is, I don't think that he has the confidence or the stroke or anything to stand up and be like, no, you're, you know, being lazy. No, you need to put more into this. No, you know what I mean? Like, I don't think that Jay White really has the ability to push Naito in that setting to do more, to put, you know, the effort to make the match something on top of the fact that, like, people are instantly going to jump down his throat no matter what. So, I think it's a really unfair comparison to make, even if it is a little bit of a straw man situation, because it's basically a comparison that you brought up. I'm not saying that other people are even making that comparison, but I am saying that, like, there is some context to it, and there is some, like, you know, just basic principles of, like, it's totally different situations. And I think that Jay White did good, the match was fine, and the idea that that's the fucking big talking about, that's the thing that we're spending all this time talking about coming out of this... It just feels counterproductive for what should be the focus is that Kota Ibushi, we, I mean, we said it last week, Kota Ibushi finally winning the G1 and it feels like an afterthought and it feels like it's the wrong time. Should he have not won this last year, the year before? You know, like, I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very odd. So, I mean, you said there's a lot more to get into and I feel like I've been rambling quite a bit. So I'm going to let you lead a little bit more through here. What else do you want to get into? Well, I think we've done enough talking about Jay. And you talk about Naito a little bit, but I want to get into a lot of people thought of this again. I thought this was very strange, but a lot of people were predicting Naito winning the G1. A lot of people, like an alarming amount of people. Um, Naito had been doing promos and backstage segments talking about he's going to be the double champ and all that stuff. And it feels like people got really worked up into believing that. And we're going all in on Naito winning the G1 this year and he doesn't and outside of people being like oh man jay white is already jay white is is choking and all the biggest spots a lot of talk was 
Naito consistently being passed over. Naito consistently being jerked around by management, despite all, despite everything, despite despite how popular he is, and all this stuff. So we don't have to go like go like super deep into this, but personally, I'm getting really sick of this idea. I'm getting really frustrated with this, and Naito is someone that in his career, like, like let's go back, like if we go even go back to the beginning. Naito was one is was always pegged as being a guy that was going to be one of the future stars. That was always Naito. Naito was in a real was in a push tag team. Naito was in the G1 final appearance before he even won his first G1. He went he wins the G1 and we all know how we all know how that goes the first time around. But even after that, wins the never title, stays stays around the upper upper mid card and all that stuff wins the ic title eventually wins the iwgp title new japan cup winner wins the wins the g1 again main events to tokyo dome gets semi-main event slots against a whole bunch of people like tanahashi and jericho and kota Ibushi over the next several years main events a lot of shows with hit with him as the headliner over the next several years but somehow Naito was still not getting what he deserves. And it's really weird to me because only with Naito we have this sort of discussion and debate that this guy who's clearly the one being the company, who's still the second hardest push guy in the company, I would say. People can talk about Jay White, but Naito's still the guy that that's getting Chris Jericho matches. Naito's still the guy that's being put in semi-main event spots on all the biggest New Japan shows of the year. And I just don't understand where we keep coming from with this. If Naito doesn't win the IWGP title, then this is all a waste. If Naito doesn't get a title run that's meaningful, this is all a waste. Because we keep saying this, but Naito was still in all these spots. It's not like Naito lost to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom and they just pushed him down the card. It's not like he went back to opening. It's not like he's in the never title picture. None of that happened. Naito was main eventing a ton of shows and still being put in super prominent spots. But anytime Naito just isn't just isn't the guy that they have that goes all the way and wins the G1 and beats Okada, it's always a problem. And I just don't know what to do with this because it's every single time with Naito we have to have this conversation. Yeah, I... I don't understand. I, but it's funny because I already referenced him. But Naito is the new Nakamura, and this was the same conversation that people had about Nakamura. And it is, um, it is kind of uh, you know, the same. In that, uh, it's a guy who's like charismatic. It's a guy who takes nights off. It's a guy who disappears in tag team matches. You know, it's like it's the he's, whole thing. He's, he's the he's the cool guy in the company, just like how Nakamura occupied the cool guy role when Tanahashi and um, Okada were there. That's what Naito's occupying now. The cool, like the cool guy, the cool, the cool alternative to the other to the other like more ace type figures in the company, you know, the same sort of role right. that Masahiro Chono used to, you, like, used to fill and all that. There's precedent for this. So, right. I don't know why, like, when you know this precedent, and when you know that this person winds up having a really strong career anyway, and they're regarded as, like, legends within the company, why you know this, and why you still get so mad over Naito, 
because it's not like this guy is get, sitting here not getting pushed anymore. It's not like he's being forced out of G1s. It's not like this guy is in the Never title picture. It's not like we're just not acknowledging how over he is. So what, like, so what do we do with, with someone like Naito where at first when he lost to Okada at Wrestle Kingdom, people were like, oh man, this is going to hurt the business. We're going to see fans get driven away. None of that happened. It's been a year and a half. Fans are still coming. They just broke their total ticket sold for the final stretch of the final stretch of the G1. They're still selling out all these shows. Naito was still just as hot a draw as he was before. Maybe not getting like the same crowd reactions, but the tickets haven't dropped. So none of this happened. So why are we still having this conversation? It's it's really strange with Naito, and I'm not sure if I'll ever if we'll ever get to the to the nitty gritty of it. I think. Naito was such an enigma and he just reeled people in in such a way that they're just so attached to him. But we talk about Naito like he's this shit on and overlooked every man of the people. And I'm not going to sit here and act like Naito's a golden boy necessarily, but Naito was always pegged to be pushed and be important. It's not like Naito worked his way from the bottom like he was Steve Austin or something and he just took the company by storm and now they're not paying attention to him. It's not like he's CM Punk where the higher ups never really had plans for Punk and Punk took the company by storm and then they're trying to sabotage Punk. That's not what's happening here. Right. Naito was always thought of as a guy that was going to lead New Japan into the future. So why are we acting like he's anything but that? Naito was exactly what they wanted him to be probably. Yeah, I mean, honestly, as you're talking through that, it's like Naito is... Dolph Ziggler like I I hate to say that because yeah, I think that he's probably more over and a bigger star but he's that level he's that guy that's the the cool anti-authority like oh the you know the man's never gonna get behind this guy guy and that spot has existed forever that's why people get into him though because I think that while everything you're saying is true and it's really easy to overlook the fact that he is treated with respect and he is a top star and he's still positioned as a top guy and protected in a lot of ways that you get to also still kind of act like you're the cool anti-authority counterculture person by th- saying, well, you know, Naito's actually the best guy, you know, oh, you know, Naito should actually be the top guy. You know, it, it's so funny because he's presented that way. He's the cool guy. He's the cool alternative. He's not the mainstream. He's not the one that they put the title on he's dean ambrose like you know it's the same thing where it was like dean ambrose kind of had that in wwe too where it was like oh you know they push roman reigns but you know that dean's actually the the good one of the shit. yeah but yeah, it, yeah but yeah but it's like that like that comparison will work if those guys were even pushed nearly as hard as naito is right like naito is main eventing all these shows it's like is people having like these dean ambrose dolph ziggler cesaro complexes for a guy that's getting Roman Reigns' push or like a like a strong push like that. Seth's push, yeah. Or so or, or a Seth push. Like like it's really misplaced because we're acting like this guy is just getting completely shit on by booking and he's not. And again with Naito, like that's what we talked about with Jay, how like all common sense goes out the window. Same thing for Naito. If people were sitting here having these same conversations about a guy in WWE being just kind of pushed, people would be laughing at them like, dude, what is wrong with you? He's clearly getting pushed. Like when we people had conversations about AJ Styles and 
AJ Styles getting the U.S. title and still being stuck on SmackDown and all that. And what are they doing with AJ Styles? AJ Styles is the top guy on that on that on that particular brand. He was the one B, and that's fine. But people don't like one B when that's their favorite wrestler. I don't I don't know. I don't get it. Hopefully, at some point, they'll be able to break that break that down in some meaningful way. But yeah, this was this was just another case of I think what night so people are just like super irrational and really the theme the theme of this episode is just all common sense just just leaves when when having that when having these having these discussions right well it would be interesting actually i think it'd be an interesting topic for like a psychology is dead to get into like the history of these guys you know the the cool alternative guy the one who's you know certain segment of the crowd he oh he should be the champion but you know he's not but he's still protected at that level because it's just is, gonna, uh, when, when nakamura was that like oh my god why aren't they doing more with nakamura right. i can't believe they're going to okada tanahashi again and not nakamura i can't imagine how nakamura feels nakamura was the hand-picked guy from that from that class back when him shibata and tanahashi first came in nakamura was the one getting like winning the iwgp title like ridiculously early in his career and all that stuff but then he, but then later on in his career, he becomes cool alternative guy. It's a really strange precedent. It's it's it really is. Yeah, it'd be an interesting thing to break down historically because there's always been kind of those guys, you know, like um, there's kind of the Bruiser was kind of a similar concept. Uh, you know, there's there's historically been people that are seen as the yeah like the anti-establishment pick, even though they're clearly protected they're clearly treated like a top guy they're you know clearly the you know the 1b as you say kind of person but for some reason because you know that's not enough for certain people and i wonder just like when it switched like arn anderson is kind of in that vein a little bit he's not pushed as heavily but similar conversation maybe tully more closely resembles that kind of vibe um even Barry Windham, shit. I guess Ric Flair had a few of them. Um, either way, you know, there's just like historically those guys. Naito is is one of them right now, and and people are really, really behind him, and they have been for a while. And I wonder if they ever turn on him because we talked, you know, comparing him to Nakamura. Nakamura left, like he had to leave, or else people would probably be having the same conversation about him right now. That like he should be the guy, and it's like clearly he shouldn't. Like you know, they're a big draw. People like him, but there's it. I don't know. How do you argue to say that like Okada isn't the guy that should be your top face of the company guy? You know, and not even that. It's like what's wrong with that? Like what's wrong with being that other guy? Because it's not like he's being treated like he's not important. It's like second, like usually the second most protected or second hardest pushed guy on the roster. Sometimes third, but usually he's like right there. So, what is the like? What is the problem? Why is it so offensive that he isn't the top guy in the company? Yes, I think if you look at it from the stance of well, most popular guy, most guy, the guy that gets the loudest reactions should be the guy that's on top. Sure. But again, there's also there also hasn't been proven to get, like hasn't there has, also hasn't been a proven reason as to why he should be because Okada didn't get less over after beating Naito. If anything, after in the fallout of Okada beating Naito and him going on that stretch of losing the belt 
and finding himself again and feuding with Jay White, Okada becomes more over than he was before. So like, yeah. what, so so I don't so I really there isn't an actual argument here. Like what I have like what I have had Naito win probably yeah like like I probably would have done that, but it didn't do anything, and in turn it led to Okada being the most beloved he's ever been in his career. So it's just it's really weird conversations, but um I guess the last thing we have to talk about here is Kenta, Kenta joining oh. Bullet Club on the G on the G1 final on the G1 final night and some people saw that coming like if you looked at the match card and you saw who they what was going on it was Kenta and Ishii and Yoshihashi going up against GOD and Fale and if you look at that obviously one of those things doesn't belong and that's Kenta right so people were already predicting like maybe Kenta turns on the Ishii and Yoshihashi team um we wanted to join, joining Bullet Club, and that's fine and good. Like the heat was already crazy for it, but then Katsuyori Shibata comes out and attacks him, just lays into him. We get the hesitation drop kick. We get we get Shibata cleaning house before the rest of Bullet Club comes in, and they all just take it to Shibata, and um, they all um, Kenta poses on top of him, and we now have like our new Bullet Club member, but. Some people are calling this the best angle of the last 30 years. Some people are calling it the, the best heel turn since Hogan. What, what are you? What are your thoughts on it? Because watching it live, like my jaw was dropped. It was it was big, and I think it was expertly executed. Um, I couldn't say it's the biggest angle and the biggest heel turn ever, and all this stuff. And again, it goes back to like muddying the waters unfortunately because now where does kenta come down in the hierarchy of bullet club um because you talk about jay white clearly being you know the top echelon guy so where does kenta come in so then now it's like kenta has to be second fiddle um oh uh, one, one more thing before we get into this because i hate like yeah. obviously like it's another jay white thing with kent and like <laughs> it's it, you know what's gonna suck with kenta being in bullet club is that kenta's gonna get so much heat you know what people are going to do? Oh, man. Jay White's the leader of Bullet Club, but he can't even get that kind of heat. Look at what Kenta's right. doing. And it's going to be like, motherfucker, like, Kenta's, Kenta is in every position to get that kind of heat possible. He came from w, he came from WWE, already Amer- already Americanized, was already in NOAA, which was like, no, I guess like the rival company for so long. He's not one of their guys. He's coming there, and he's already beat, he's beating Tanahashi. He's beating Ibushi. He like had like heelish moments in the G1. He's already behind the eight ball in terms of crowd reaction. They want the crowd wanted a reason to boo Kenta, and now he sits here and beats up Katsuyori Shibata. He beats up right. Ishii. Like yeah, of course he's gonna get heat, but you know what's gonna, but you know that's gonna happen though. People gonna oh man, Jay White is such a good heel, but look at but look at him not even getting the same kind of heat Kenta gets. Yeah, no, I know, and it's it's. It's bullshit, but it's it was really smart booking. I will say that it felt like, and I wonder if it was the plan from the beginning or what, because it did feel like Kenta. I wouldn't say was dying on the vine, but wasn't having the best G one, and then now coming out with this is a good way to kind of salvage that. Um, in that he's got heat and he's got something coming out of it that you're thinking about more than the fact that he had an, a not a bad but an okay G one showing overall, and now he can really start to bring it as a heel. 
and really show off what he can do. And then you'll be excited. You know, people will start talking about seeing him in G1 again next year, but this time clearly as a heel um, after he's had a, a flurry of a few good matches and stuff like that. Again, it makes me question, what's the hierarchy? There was a lot of hubbub, people talking about, like, Kevin Kelly mentioning that he's a junior during the commentary um, in the match with Osprey. So, but then, you know, obviously this feels like setting up a rivalry with Shibata. And Shibata has clearly never been presented as a junior ever. So, you know, that feels like, well, yeah, you're not going into Kenta as a junior there. Um, great angle. The booking, everything was amazing. Um, I think part of what hurts it for me is I didn't watch it live, but I could definitely see huge, huge reactions. And especially, I think I think this was an angle that was probably a lot better in the building than on TV, even still, um, let alone live. But like even still, it's like very emotional, big-time stuff. Great way to set it up. These two, huge history. Who And it, and it leaves you questioning and knowing, wondering what the fuck is going on. Is Shibata back? Like... We saw what he did there. He got more physical than he's gotten in forever. But, like, still, does that mean that he's really able to just come back to wrestling? That doesn't seem right after everything that's going on. Like, how? How? How could he be back? Like, did he get that same weird treatment that Daniel Bryan got? Did they fix his broken brain? Like, what the fuck is going on here? All the stuff feeling like the L.A. Dojo thing, like there was going to be an L.A. Dojo stable. Who knows what the fuck that what goes on with that now? What does all this mean? It's it's really cool, and especially because you talked about it, people predicting it. And that that's honestly what made it such great booking is that people looked at it on paper. Oh, this looks like Kenta could turn. Oh, it, that happens. Oh, yeah, that was super predictable. But then you throw all of that a big money. Yeah, they, you, throw some, you throw somebody in there. It's like, oh, whoa, 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 hold what on. The fuck, no one predicted this, you know. And that's what's great. That's the that that's how swerves work, everybody. That's how wrestling swerves work. You give people what they expect, and then you come out of left field with something that they could have never predicted. You don't just do the opposite because no one would have seen it coming. You do something completely out of nowhere that no one would have predicted that's that's how you do a swerve in wrestling and that's how you take something where yeah you give them what they expect people predict you know the, the opposite thing would be the you know oh we want to do like a swerve so people expect kenta to turn so then we have yoshihashi turn and now he's in Bullet or, Club, or, or like or like or like kenta joins chaos like <laughs> right exactly like something really stupid but instead what you do is you do the thing that everyone predicts but then you come out of nowhere completely out of left field with shibata showing up and that's it's fucking great and i could definitely see because there has been so little of anything really good that i could see saying that this is like the best heel turn since hulk hogan honestly i could see that but at the same time this whole g1 you telling me it didn't feel like kenta needed to turn that's the thing like comparing it to the hulk hogan turn it was kind of like hogan i don't think anyone would have predicted that he was going to turn even with what was going on at the time even with the fact that he wasn't getting cheered like he was even with the fact that he had kind of teased a little bit of a dark turn before that i don't think anyone would have predicted that at all but kenta i think here pretty easily you're saying kenta should be a heel in new japan he felt no, like he should be a heel without know? a doubt without yeah. a doubt like i said the crowd already wasn't into him that way so the, like the biggest reactions he was get he would get is when he's mocking um or mocking or cheating or doing something underhanded against one of the beloved new, J new japan guys that was like that's when he would get his biggest reaction so why not run with that i think the biggest question coming out of this now i guess it's like the future of Shib future of shibata um it's been a year and a half going going on going on two years at this point of um shibata being gone 
and he was very physical, like doing like did did the drop kick, got attacked, did did some stuff. Looked like he was in great shape. And I guess my thinking was with, with Shibata that I wouldn't expect him to be so physical like that if there wasn't a plan for an eventual in-ring return. Now, I'm seeing that Dave said that as of right now, the plan isn't for Shibata to come back. But again, I have a hard time believing that because why couldn't Shibata have just come out and been confused and then Kenta beats him up? Why did Shibata come out there and insert himself into a situation violently and then he got beat up, if if that that was the case? Um, Why did both members of G.O.D. sell huge for his strikes? Yeah. You know? So so I look at it and... You know, you can um go look at even like kill like um Shabata's uh, documentary series talking about his um life post wrestling and what he's been doing at the LA Dojo. People sort of gloss over it, but in that Shabata said that yeah, he's over at the he's like oh he's at the LA Dojo, but what he's doing over here is like keeping himself in shape for a possible return. So what I think now, you no, know, this is just me, this is like no proof or backing for this, but my idea now that the whole time that Shibata being at the LA Dojo thing was optics. They were keeping him away from the New Japan stuff so it doesn't look like they're trying to force him back into the ring or get him back into the ring. And they did the LA Dojo thing like, oh yeah, look at Shibata. He's happy with it. He's happy with life. He's going to take a step back and train these kids and all that. When in reality, this is what Shibata was always getting ready and coming back to do. What do you think? Yeah, I mean that makes sense. It is a good mis- again another good misdirect, a good way to be like he's moved on. He's started a new. And, 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 and let's be real, like New Japan's kind of shady. Like yeah. they do stuff like this, like when Kit, like Kitamura getting getting um you know retiring from wrestling. We still don't know what happened to Haramu Takahashi. Actually, like you know actually, right. like it's it's a very shady company. So like that like doesn't that check out for them? Right. Yeah. I mean they do this stuff all the time. So I wouldn't. I wouldn't be shocked. It's interesting because it's like, what's next for the LA Dojo? Like, do they... Who's the head trainer? I can't imagine Shibata does full-time, you know, touring schedule plus being the head trainer at the LA Dojo just just seems like too much. I don't think Shibata will come back full-time. Like, that was definitely not. Um, I mean, but shit, Hanma Hanma came back, so I I don't know. Like, yep. The thing, like, people are, like, gonna, like, attach, like, Shibata and Daniel Bryan and all that stuff. What I will say, though, is, like, Daniel Bryan, from what, like, the way he always phrased it, and I know people didn't, like, didn't even like hearing this when it first happened, Daniel Bryan's thing was a mis- was a misdiagnosis of what actually happened to him. If you if you go back and listen to that Edging Edge Christian podcast episode, it sounds like the dude got misdiagnosed, and he was trying to fight a misdiagnosis of what he actually got told was going on with his brain. Shibata literally almost died. Shibata right. was blind for a month. Like, those things actually happened. So, while I was way more on board with Brian coming back, just because I've listened, I paid attention, I I knew that Brian was saying, if I believe him, like, I believe I believe him that he was mis- he misdiagnosed, misdiagnosed essentially by his doctors, then I was fine with him coming back. With Shibata, it's the dude look like literally was fighting for his life or could have died. So I, so from that from that standpoint, 
how do you feel? Because I don't if he's on a part time special occasion basis, I think I'm more okay with it. If this was like, oh yeah, Shabbat's coming back full time, like I I wouldn't I wouldn't be alright with this at all. Yeah, I mean I think I'm more with you on that in that regard. Like he can definitely have some big time matchups maybe you know a couple big draws here especially a feud with kenta you know something like that but fuck those guys go so hard that's almost like yeah you're gonna put it all out there in a match with kenta but uh the comparison is apt what you're talking about there is like very true although you know daniel bryan talked about having seizures you know and and so who knows Shibata felt like he was close to death, but there's a lot of, and that's the thing that we don't know. There's nothing out there. We'll probably never know because they just don't seem to put anything out there because new Japan is shady. Like you said, new Japan plays a lot of stuff very close to the vest and kayfabe stuff. And we'll probably never get the truth, but there's a lot more to healthcare and the medical fields in general for like, honestly being able to, kind of fix things i mean as crazy as it sounds like people are coming back they're doing a lot of insane stuff i mean i work in healthcare we're doing like gene therapy trials you know like we're doing insane things healthcare has moved leaps and bounds ahead of where it used to be so if we ever got the true story of what was going on maybe i would feel more okay but that said we're probably never going to get that and it does seem really iffy because of the history of what new japan does and you said it but like we're all still waiting for hiromu to come back like what the fuck is up with him because yeah, like, like no one like... yeah no one yeah. knows what's actually going on with hiromu like we're just sitting here waiting like okay like people were doing that um for the g1 final like oh hiromu's gonna come out and all the all the lij members are gonna pose together and all that and then hiromu doesn't come back out it's like yeah, like what's going on? No one knows. It's like it's sort of pointless to even speculate with this company because they keep things so close to the vest. Right, and they were playing it off like the Hiromu stuff was not that big of a deal. Oh yeah, you totally. Know? They were they were yeah. feeding they were feeding the news like, oh yeah, like yeah, no, he didn't sprain his he didn't sprain his neck. I mean, he wouldn't be on a flight if he sprained his neck and like and all and all that stuff. And now we're going on, we're going on a year now. I think it's been a, a 10, 11 months now since then. So we're going on a year, and yeah, we still no word on him. Right. So we'll 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 see where that goes. I mean, yeah. So I don't know. Is there anything else you want to hit on before we head out here? Uh, no. Maybe uh, maybe just like the you know in closing before we get out of here. You know, favorite match of the G one now that everything and everything now that everything Ooh. is all said and done. God damn, that's a that's a good question. Um, I, I can go, I'll go first since I think mine's Jay, pretty clear. Ahead. Like, yeah, like for me, I, I thought the final was incredible. Like, so I'm Jay Jay White versus Kota Ibushi for me. Top. I, I thought about my top five today. After, after um, you know, um, thinking about that match again, and that's probably my that's probably my second second match of the year. Like, is like behind Brian versus Kofi Kingston from WrestleMania. Like, that's probably my second. That's probably my second second match of the year. Yeah. Um I kinda have for star ratings wise, my 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 top matches are like Mox versus Shingo, Shingo versus Naito, 
and uh, Ishii versus White, um, and the final White versus uh, Ibushi, um, with the the two Shingo matches being slightly above the two White matches actually. Um, but that said, I mean favorite and top star rated aren't the same thing, you know, and I would say yeah favorite i probably end up going with the final just because of the storytelling and like i talked about how it really felt like comparatively the two matches before it the two block decider matches really led into the into the final in a big way so yeah for me favorite match probably the final just because of it encapsulating everything and really making a uh making a, a satisfying story but if I'm going to say best match of the tournament, the, the match that I have the highest rated, you know, the, the Shingo versus Mox, Shingo versus Naito match, or even, but I think Shingo versus Naito would probably be what I would end up saying is the best match of the tournament. Um, just because it also was a lot more fulfilling with the storyline situation of what's going on between the two. Um, which is funny, after saying Naito wasn't great in the tournament i would say he was in the best match of the tournament but he was also in there with the best wrestler of the tournament so yeah <laughs> you know it's hard to argue all right but i think i think i think that's about it um you can go ahead and follow, follow the follow the podcast follow the podcast twitter account at qncr and we mentioned on the last episode that we were going to try and do uh, another one this week so be on, be on the lookout for something that's just pretty much dedicated to the SCI that I'm really looking forward to doing just because I feel like I haven't talked about the SCI in depth in a really long time. So I'm excited, I'm, I'm excited to do that one. Yeah, that that's going to be a lot of fun and that's going to be a nice kind of a uh, special treat for everybody. Hey, maybe we should put it on Patreon, huh? <laughs> make people, <laughs> make people have to pay for that one. No. Um, but yeah, that'll be coming at some point relatively soon. Um, but either way, Quentin already hit it. Yeah, that's it. Fuck out on the sound. Uh, big dog, act like it. 